This is the Plucked Chicken Podcast. Well, Pastor Bruss, this is going to be a difficult sermon for us and our listeners to get through. This is just a, man, it's a bad one. But the issue that he's addressing is one that a lot of evangelicals think about, and it is, how does God speak to me? Well, I thought it would be fun real quick just to kind of to take a little survey. Like, uh, how many of you guys have ever asked your kids these questions and, and gotten some unique answers? Anybody in here ask their kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Angie or uh, Amy, what did you hear from your kids? Gotcha. I like the transition. Angie, how about back there? Your crew. What, what did they want to be when they were little? When they were growing up, you said, hey, what do you guys want to be? Go ahead and sell them down the road. Right now is the moment to do this. So what is this, a, a Bible study? I, I don't quite understand. Is he, no. is he asking people in his band? No, 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 no. This, this is sermon time. He's setting up what he's going to talk about with this introduction. And his point is when we were kids, we all wanted to be something. So when you get older, how do you know what to do? And so you have to go looking for God's revelation to direct you in that. Gotcha. This will be an interesting one to talk about because a proper biblical theology leaves a lot in human control. And I want people to hear that correctly. In, in matters having to do with God, we are out of control. The old nature in us is corrupt and uh, could never fear, love, and trust in God of its own volition. But there are still certain powers that the human being has to govern things below himself. In other words, God's command, not only be fruitful and multiply, but have dominion over all of uh, the creation, is still in force, and the Lord still upholds that with his word, and we do have this dominion. It's under us, and we can make decisions about it without having to consult the Lord in a kind of direct download way. Even pagans. Even pagans, absolutely. Even pagans, even agnostics, even atheists, even unbelievers. You know, how does the Lord... Is be fruitful and multiply not happening in India? No, it is. Right, right. Big time. Big time, exactly. And are they making economic decisions and household decisions? Absolutely. Without direct downloads from the Lord, are they unpleasing to God on this sort of civic level? The answer is no. They're doing exactly what the Lord wants them to do, having children and managing their households, etc. You don't know? I just want to be good. That's what they said, didn't they? Yeah. Mom, I just want to be good. Make money. Play baseball. Baddest, how about you guys? Have you gotten any response? You guys plenty of littles over there at your house? What do they want to be when they grow up? What's Jackson want to be? An astronaut. I like that. NASA's been shut down. Sorry. Sorry. Anybody? Terry, when your kids were growing up, what do you remember? You don't remember. Anybody remember? Wanted to be a secretary. I like it. Always wanted to be a teacher. That's sweet. So um, you, not all kids have the same dreams, right? Caden, uh, when he was younger, uh, had a very specific dream. You would ask him, what do you want to be when you grow up? And around second grade, they used to do this thing, star of the month or star of the week. I can't remember what it was. It was this folder or this poster that they would send home. And on it, you would write your name, you would talk about your family and all this kind of stuff. And there was this question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Caden, 
uh, is our third, third born. And you should know about Caden. There, there, he, he is the, the kid, you know, the one up there says, oh, I have a total plan. Like, I'm going to make lots of money, and then I'm going to do this with my money, right? So Caden's idea of success in life is having a large sum of cash to do um, foolish things with, um, like buy Ferraris and stuff like that. He's 15. He still has this thought process. But at age 8 in second grade, he came up with a brilliant idea because what he wanted was a little bit of flexibility in his schedule, but he also wanted to make a large amount of cash. So what he said is, you know what I could do is I could be a proctologist. That's what I'll do. I'll be a proctologist. If you don't know what a proctologist is, look at your neighbor and ask them. They'll tell you in just a second. So it's a very unique role in the, in, in the field of, of, of being a doctor. And so we, we used to ask Caden, well, what, why would you want to be a proctologist? He, he had two reasons. One, starting salary is like 180 grand for a proctologist because nobody wants that end of the business, if you know what I'm talking about. And they have office hours. That was his thought process. He's like, nobody really has an emergency for a proctologist, right? And so all of us have always had this question, right? No matter where you're at, this series that we're going to go through over the next few weeks is we're going to talk about this idea, um, what will I be when I grow up? All right, I know that was somewhat painful to listen to, and I really thought about cutting it out, but it sets the stage for where he's going to go. And then secondly, what it does is it shows you typical evangelical preaching right. these days. <clears throat> there's a lot of uh, throat clearing there, it seems, uh, right? There's there's very little proclamation. It's kind of heavy duty on the uh, on what the ancients called the captatio benevolentiae, the, you know, captivation of goodwill on the part of the audience. Now everybody's, you know, there and primed and ready to listen and but holy cow, how long have we been into this thing and we haven't heard the name Jesus? Well, yeah, this is why I say you're going to get really upset because, like I said, I've listened to it several times and I don't think Jesus, he don't even get a mention. Doesn't get much, huh? No, okay. and certainly not the gospel. Well, that is not preaching. And really what we're, what we're trying to focus on is this idea of we want to know what the future sort of holds and we think... There's this, this idea that if I look out into the future, I can sort of begin to determine what it might look like and what it might feel like. We cannot see around the corner. No, we can't see around the corner, but we can make plans for the future. And uh, we can set our aspirations on certain things. I think there's nothing nothing wrong with that at, at all, is there? No, I mean, what is it? The, uh, the man plans his ways and the Lord directs his steps. But what he's going to talk about is how the Lord is the one who's going to tell you what's around he, the corner. He's going to plan your ways. Yeah, he and, plans and, your ways. And you're going to direct your steps. Is that how it goes? Or uh, Yes. So, so it's, it's uh, flip-flopped. Right. And in the evangelical world, which we have tried to point out time and time again, everything is flip-flopped. And what happens over time as a person yields themselves to who God is and, and begins to encounter him in a relationship and begins to walk with him in a regular way. Here's the, what actually begins to happen at that question is, God, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? And they start with small steps that become big things. I can remember uh, Madison when, when she was... Uh, going to be looking at colleges and stuff like that, asking this question, God, where does God want me to go, Dad? I don't know. I just want to be, I want to be where God wants me to be, right? And, and it was such, uh, such pressure that she felt to get this thing right. No kidding pressure. 
right? If, if, if a decision like really a minor decision about where you're going to go to college, it seems like it's huge when you're 18 years old, but if that is dependent upon uh, what the Lord wants you to do and you don't know what the Lord wants you to do because you can't, he hasn't revealed it in his word. Wow. That would be completely terrifying. And it is. I've been there. Most evangelicals who take their faith seriously, they've all been there. And this one really is, what do I do? I'm going to step out of God's will if I don't choose the right school. That's like one of the first dominoes that begins to fall, because then it's like, what am I supposed to major in? Who am I supposed to marry? What am I supposed to do? You are constantly usually in college, and then, of course, you get you get to college, and guess where you start going? To the evangelical college group that are all bearing down, placing this burden upon you. That you Constantly be to ask what God wants me to do. Nonstop. And, and so let's talk very quickly about this problem. Uh, and this is the beautiful discovery of the, of the evangelical Lutheran Reformation that took place in Wittenberg. The only source and norm for everything in this life for a Christian is the written word of God. This is known as uh, one of the three solas, sola scriptura, by scripture alone. How do we know God's will? By scripture alone. It's written. How do we know what is to be proclaimed in the church? By scripture alone. And so the problem is, and, and this is what the evangelical world seems not to get, is that the scriptures open up this sort of gulf between what is clearly revealed to us, what we need to know, and what we don't know. And what we don't know is left in our decision-making powers. Let's, let's go back to where we people have heard this verse before, but this is a big one. This is Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So this is not a very difficult passage to interpret at all. What are the things that are revealed? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, right? All the words of this law. In other words, everything that's written in the Torah is revealed, and the rest of the stuff isn't, and God isn't going to reveal it. He's given you the gray matter between your ears as a great blessing. I mean, think about how Luther talks about the explanation of the first article, right? I believe that God has created me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. So how does God provide for you to know what you ought to become when you grow up? Well, he's given you your reason and all of your senses. He promises still to take care of them, and he's gonna, and he says, use them. Well, then on top of that, there is a beautiful truth that is discovered by the evangelical when he starts to pay attention to the Lutheran distinctives. You're free. When you hear that, that you are the one that's placed yourself under this burden for looking for God to reveal under every rock and uh, behind every bush over every decision— when you hear, you are free. Right. You come, you come to a fork in the road, and you say, which one do I go down? And you use your gray matter to choose the what you think is the appropriate one. Now, does God's will cease at that point? Absolutely not. It's still the revealed will of God. And all he asks that is that you walk 
uh, according to his Ten Commandments, down this one fork. If you had gone down the other fork, walk according to Ten Commandments. Still God's will. Exactly. Now, if the fork in the road is this, (laughs) do I go to the movie theater for a PG movie, or do I go to the strip club? Well, there, you can't go down either road. And why is that? Because the one is barred by the Ten Commandments. And sadly, this pastor will never bring the Ten Commandments into play. That's shocking. But he gets to the truth. Like, what you and I are saying, he is going to explore a little bit of this. But you'll hear he just, he can't connect all the dots. He's still led by looking for God to speak to him. Apart from his revealed written word. Right. Sola Scriptura. And then... You know, as life moves on, you're going to hit different phases where, is this the right job for me to go? Should I move and take this new opportunity? Should I do these things? And then life gets more dynamic where you have have these things where maybe you enter into a relationship and it's about marriage or it's about um, really difficult situations and how you approach it and dealing with things like family and friends and God, what do you want me to do? This pastor is making my point here is that it seems to start for the evangelical with the college choice, and then it just begins to expand. And snowball. Right, so that's that the word. Every, yeah. every last thing is, is, what does God want for me? Man, I've lived this. Mm-hmm. I know what this is like, and it is awful. No pastor was pointing me to, you know, what station of life are you in? Well, then... God's Word is very clear what you're supposed to do with all of those stations. stations. Yeah, yep. no, Nobody did that. You, you've got to listen to this um, small whisper of God. Right. This may or may not be a fair assessment, but it sounds like turning yourself into your own echo chamber. Do I make pro and con lists for difficult decisions? Yes. A- absolutely. Absolutely. And w- my wife is just fantastic at doing this kind of thing. What comes as a result of that? A good decision. This hopefully. Is hopeful, a hopefully good decision, right? But whatever the decision is, it doesn't lift the fact that I'm still called to live in my vocation and live according to the Ten Commandments. And that's the, the marching orders. It's, it seems to me like this is like practical self-help. In other words, you could go to the self-help shelf, pull it off, get all the same advice, but here this is being somehow baptized or christened because it's occurring in what is thought to be a church. By what is thought to be a pastor. Correct. It's an incredibly difficult question at moments. And so we, we thought we would start in thinking about the maturation of a person and how, how we grow, okay? How we grow as a person might give us a snapshot how we might grow in our understanding the will of God understanding what he he is longing to see happen in us and through us. And so um, what I want to start with is this, is that often uh, our approach to life tends to be shaped around this idea of it is what I know and what I don't know. Let me say that again. The way I sort of approach life is often driven around this concept of what you know or what you don't know. And Gabe is the best example of this in, in our house right now. If if you, if you don't know Gabe, um, he looks like Harry Potter. He's in the back. He'll come out with glasses. Trust me, you won't be wondering which one looks like Harry Potter because he kind of really does, actually. How many stories of this man's children have we heard thus far? This is the third. Yeah, third. And how many kids does he have? I think 17. 
Uh, well, we've got. Is are we going to hear from all the stories of all the children? What are we exegeting here? Nothing. There's Nothing. No, there is no explication of the word of God. There is no proclamation of Christ. There is no proclamation of the clear law of God anywhere. This is uh, unbelievable. But all he's doing is still setting up the problem and supporting with stories of his children. I guess that must be what it is. And so maybe we can, you know, toss him the bone and say this is still the introduction and he'll get around to preaching Christ. Don't hold your breath. And so, Gabe, uh, if, if you met him and started to have a conversation with him and you started telling him about something he would tell you something else about the something that you're trying to inform him about. Whether or not he knows anything, he assumes he does, actually. And his, his vast knowledge of the world that he's a part of at age nine is incredible, and yet it's based on nothing. That's exactly what this sermon is based on, isn't it? There is nothing here. And this is why I really struggled with wanting to cut all of this stuff out, because there's nothing here. But then I just thought, no, you know, what we're trying to do on the Pluck Chicken is set the crooked stick next to the straight stick. But I guess we need to put a Lutheran sermon on here. Yours, mine, just throw a dart at the wall and hit one of these guys and we use his sermon. Because he's faithful to the text. He's going to preach law and gospel. It's not a therapeutic, a moralistic deism. It's not, as you said earlier, it's not a self-help. That's what the people need. Need is what they need. It's what they need. They need. They need Christ. And God wants to give that to them. Exactly. But because the pastor's not faithful in doing what he's supposed to be doing, he's robbing them of Christ. Everybody's robbed. Mm -hmm. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans ten. Okay, I'm glad you used that verse, because he's going to make it out that faith comes by this, not the written, proclaimed word of God. It's the whispering voice or whatever it is. Sad. Okay, honestly, that's what it's based on. Absolutely just assumption about things. He goes, I think I understand this. Why? Because he understands something, so therefore he understands everything. Now, here's the funny thing. Here's, here's the way we, we kind of approach life. Is There's this curve, and it kind of goes like this. And there's this moment right about here, okay? So what happens... At birth, we know nothing. We know nothing. Okay? And at about 23 for boys, and probably, I would say, let's say, like around 20 for girls, there's this thing that happens. We think we know a whole lot. And this is probably like, uh, I would say, first grade right here. First, like first graders, uh, they can be, in my opinion, some of the most difficult people in the world. The reason being is this is at first grade, they go to school, they can read, and then therefore they were like, I've unlocked the mysteries of life, right? That's what happens at age seven. You unlock all the mysteries of life. And so we begin to understand more, right? The problem is, is we lack an awareness of what we don't know. And here's what happens. At about 23 and 20, somewhere in this range, here's what we realize. I don't know what I don't know. So therefore, there must be more that I what? I don't know. The exposition of what text or biblical teaching is this? I, wh where, where, where do the scriptures teach this? Where I'm nonplussed, and I'm, I'm frequently not at a loss for words. Got it? Come on, help me out. Got anything <laughs> for me? <laughs> I'm going to let you sit there in your confusion.
I'm totally confused. I mean, this would be the kind of thing that you might hear a, what, like a college admissions department or a college uh, orientation department putting on and say, now look, mom and dad, things are going to get a little different here because uh, Junior's going to start thinking his own thoughts and and, and so on and so forth. And it happens earlier for girls and later for boys. So if you, you know, if Mikey uh, still is a moron by the time he gets done with college, don't blame us. Uh, but this is, uh, I, I don't get this. Well, maybe you'll get it because if I'm not mistaken, he's going to regale us with yet another story. Oh, of a child. I think of himself as a child. As a child. And so here's what begins to happen. It's not that we understand less we realize as we age and mature, there's more life that I'm discovering every single day. Every single day. See, because at about 16 right here, we think we own the world. 17, we're like, my parents are idiots. I don't know how they make it without me, okay? Like, I can simply remember going, how do my parents run a business? This is insane. I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how they get out the household without my help right now because I know how this world works. And yet they seem to be confused. That's what this is, right? And here's the problem is you don't know what you don't know, right? And you're operating out of this place of, of ignorance, not bad or, or, or evil. It's just you don't know what you don't know. And your world is shaped by what you've experienced. There was a point in time what the world was what? flat. Why? Because man could stand there and he could see out into a distance. And if you just kept walking, it wasn't like there was some curve to the earth, right? Because here's the thing. When we see stuff, we think we've experienced all of it. I can still remember the first time I went to this church up in Chicago. And it was like somebody took me out of a cage and told me, hey, you can fly wherever you want to go. Like what you think the box is that you live in, like it's bigger than what you think. And so there's this idea that, that once we begin to realize, hey, there's, there's a limit to my understanding because of my, my experiences that I have in life. That's just the reality. And so sometimes there's some things in life that I don't know that I don't know. And it's okay. It's all right. We just not, we, we've got to begin to understand there are more things in life that we don't know yet. And we're going to experience them. That's how we mature. That's how we grow. Now, when it comes to this idea, how do we discover, how do we, how do we begin to be able to hear God's voice and respond to it appropriately? Now, I think one of the best ways, this is something we use in, in our huddles and discipleship. And you guys may have seen this. Uh, we've taught it before and we'll continue to teach it is there's this process that we follow in life. And it kind of goes like this, is we're introduced to information. Now, information isn't limited to sort of an intellectual approach. That's not what I'm talking about. We're exposed to something somewhere along the way. We're, we're shown something. We, we see something. Somebody tells us about something. Um, I, I would tell you, for me, there was an awakening after I came to Christ about this idea of how Holy Spirit worked. Pastor Bruss, I knew this was going to be difficult for you, and I'm assuming it's difficult for our listeners as well. We finally got to hear where he's going with this. By the way, first time we've heard any, right. any name of the Godhead. Right, but he made the decision to follow. Mm -hmm. 
So even though, as we've heard before in previous sermons, what was it? You're jacked up from the feet up, but yet, as you pointed out, yes, that's true, but still the jacked upness stops at about your neck and you can still decide for Jesus. So he decided for Jesus, and then he started to be enlightened by by Holy Spirit. By Holy he, Spirit. He starts to understand how the Holy Spirit works. Not the he, Holy Spirit. No, by Holy Spirit. How how Holy Spirit works. Okay, I thought that was an Asianism or something like that, you know, right? Drop the article. Uh, you know, sad I, I, that people um, allow themselves to be fed this on a Sunday morning uh, instead of the pure teaching of the gospel and to, to receive the forgiveness of sins that Christ has won for them and clearly wants for them. I'm thinking about uh, the gospel according to St. John and the role of the Holy Spirit there. When he is given as a gift to the disciples in chapter 20, right, Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit, and then the very next words out of his mouth, whosoever sins you forgive, they have been forgiven them, and whosoever sins you bind, they have been bound. And this binding and loosing takes all, all takes place under the forgiveness of sins, one uh, by Jesus on the cross. In other words, the Holy Spirit teaches Jesus. That's his job. That's the working of the Holy Spirit, of Holy Spirit, I guess, as they would say. There, there's something I was exposed to watching people live in a way, in a manner, in a likeness that I did not understand. I, I, didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't realize that's the way it sort of worked or could work, right? Because the only understanding I had of Scripture, only understanding I had of God, was shaped and formed by this very, very immature person called Alton. And yet at the same time, when I read the Bible, I just believed it. I just believed it. If God said to do it, I just said, well, apparently that's what you do. No, I was exposed to some things about how Holy Spirit worked. And so what I asked, I began to ask questions. How do you know how to do that? Where did you learn that? Okay, I have to admit that I'm somewhat liking what he's saying here. He reads the Bible and he just has a childlike faith and he, and he, and he believes it. This is, this he believes is, it and he does what it says. Right. This, this is so good. This is exactly what Deuteronomy 29, 29 is all about. Hold on to your hats. Okay, because he was apparently immature there. He was, he, was, he, was, he was clinging to God's word in the scriptures, and that was a level of immaturity that he now repudiates. Exactly. Last Tuesday, we walked into um, Starbucks, and, and I, was, I was having coffee with uh, Kristen and Dustin and Julie, and we were all sitting down. We are in this line, and there was this young lady. Her name was Ashley. Sweet, cute girl, probably 18, 20 years old. What I remember is she had these really cute freckles on her cheeks, you know, kind of uh, this, this very um, sort of a country girl, but cute as a button. She was cute. And, and I was sitting there talking, and, and all of a sudden, I just got this image of this barn on a farm. Like, it, it almost felt like cartoonish. Like, there was this little hill and this cute barn and a little sun in the background, and the image just sort of was peaceful. It felt like home. And I was like, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? Now, here's what I would tell you. I would have never had this moment if I had not experienced this with someone else. If I had not watched them do similar things. And so when I watched them 
for the very first time, I began to ask questions. Why did you do that? Where did you, how did you understand how to do that? How did you know how to respond to God in that moment? And they began to teach me some different things and understandings of why it was true. The truth underneath the exercise of actually living out when God speaks and God moves. And then what I, what I started to do was simply imitate what they did. And here's the natural thing. In life, this is how we actually work. We, we teach this often is that imitation is what we all do. When you guys were around children at the beginning, when you teach a child to say mama or dada, they only parrot what you tell them to say. They have no understanding of what that word means. I know it makes you feel good and it's like mama, they love me finally, right? Dada, I know I am your favorite. No, it's just an easier word to pronounce than mama. That's I'm just being honest with you. They have no idea what the word means because all they're doing is this. They're imitating what you're doing in that moment. And in life, this is what we do. We, we're exposed to something. We're informed about something. And then we're trying to figure out how does that work? How do you do it? And what we do is we imitate what we see somebody else doing. And then soon, here's what happens is once we begin to get an understanding, once we begin to get to this place of where we can kind of get our, our mind around something, the uniqueness of who we are, the nuance of Alton, or the nuance of you, your personality, your temperament, guess what? You begin to what we call innovate. You take it and you, it becomes more like you. It's an expression that feels truer to you. This is such self-help garbage. I cannot believe it. The, the, but don't... I, uh, I'm flabbergasted. I'm totally flabbergasted. And, you know, so, so we've been introduced to Holy Spirit here. We have a completely, apparently, a completely incorrect sense of what the Holy Spirit does, to, uh, completely unmoored from Scripture. Uh, you know, do we need to take a look at a few Bible passages to talk about what the Holy Spirit does? No, so let's, have, no, you know, let, no, let's keep looking into the filthy <laughs> toilet here. Are you, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, do people not need to hear what the Holy Spirit's job is? What I'm guessing, I mean, this is where, this is what I'm guessing, is that the Holy Spirit's here, you know, whispering in his ear or like giving him this cartoonish barn image and so on and so forth. You know, things that flash through your mind all the time, whether you're a pagan or a Christian, and, and he's investing this with, with you know, the, the weight of the Holy Spirit. But now can I, can I, I, just, I, I just need to say this. You know, the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, John 16, verse 7, starting midway. If I go, I will send him, the paraclete, to you. And when he comes, this is his job, everybody listen, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And then, verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Okay, I'm very happy about that. Now, how is he going to do this? Jesus explains, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Well, what is that that he's hearing? Well, let's go on. He will declare to you the things that are to come he will glorify me for he will take what is he will take what is mine and declare it to you what belongs to Jesus righteousness forgiveness of sins everlasting life this is what the holy spirit is going to declare to you and so in the here and now when you hear that declaration you know what's to come what's to come on the judgment day i stand before god a justified sinner 
welcome into his heaven. There's bad, bad pneumatology here. That's obviously what we're, what we're discussing. But then to make matters worse, getting back to the Ten Commandments, he is going to attribute these words that are coming to him as coming from the Holy Spirit that he passes off to other people. This is a breaking of the second commandment. Correct. Right? Correct. Is saying things the Lord never said. And this is a serious problem. It per- it's it's pertinent to every Christian, number one, but especially to those who wear the mantle of the office, the pastoral ministry, who are called God's servants. Because what he's doing is he is teaching people, imitate me. Right, just as he imitated somebody else, apparently. Mm -hmm. That's correct. And then what was the invigorate, make it your own. But then what are they doing? They're lawbreakers. Right, right, right. This is is an encouragement. Uh, uh. I'm going to take the Lord's name in vain by saying things he never said, and now I want you to do the exact same thing. And it puts a lie directly to uh, hallowed be thy name as well, doesn't it? Uh, where God's name is hallowed uh, when, when we keep uh, and teach it in its truth and purity and lead holy lives according to it. And when we're talking about that word, we're not talking about an extra scriptural word. We are talking about the inscripturated word of God. But as you said they will make what comes from their own echo chamber or a passing thought or image as being that extra word. From God. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I don't understand is how they, how they feel that they can certify this, number one. This is what's going to speak to that. He's going to speak to this country girl, and obviously she is going to respond to what he says in a very positive way. In the next sermon that we'll jump to, not in its entirety because I just don't think you can handle it, he's going to do the exact same thing again. The person that he speaks to, it's, it reminds me of those, um, uh, those uh, psychic readers who are fishing for information. See, this is what, this is what I think. Right. And, and they're not even psychic readers, right? No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, what you're saying is you, you interview somebody, you, you size them up. Right. Make some and, observations. And with the, your natural, right. the, the gray matter between your ears, right. you can figure out who they are, what their values are, and other things. Right. Yeah. Uh, in this situation, he's already said she's a cute country girl with freckles. She probably had some Daisy Dukes on with cowboy boots. Right. She, she probably looked like a country girl in every way and maybe even had a country accent, which gave it away. Right. Right. So, so it's not like, like the Holy Spirit is, is saying, oh, you got a country girl here, right, uh, dressed in, um, in sophisticated city clothing or right. something. Yeah. So, he's, so he has this cartoonish image as if, uh, no, I didn't know God spoke in cartoons. I didn't either. Well, we got to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf, Correct. right? Correct. So... He's thinking about a barn or something like that. He'll he'll he's going to talk to her in just a moment. She's going to react very positively to what quote unquote the Lord said to Alton, who spoke this to this girl in the next sermon. He does the exact same shtick with a pregnant woman. Now, sizing her up, natural observation, he says, "I feel like the Lord is telling me that you want to be at home, to stay at home." She says. I want to work. <laughs> and he, the pastor, even says, swing and a miss. Wow. So the Holy Spirit. See, 
you're doing it correctly, asking the question, well, let's go back to the source. Mm-hmm. Forget forget the conduit. Forget him. What's going on there? Is the Holy Spirit, you know, just playing hide-and-go-seek here or— or like a capricious God that gives certain words here and appears to give certain words elsewhere, but doesn't. Or, or true words here and false words right. here. Right. This is this is uh, horrifying stuff. It, it it absolutely is. He nor anybody in that audience says, "Wait a second, we got a false. This is a false prophet on our hands. What what are the rules for a prophet?" He speaks the truth of God. If what he says comes to pass, we know that it's true. If what he says does not come to pass, you stone him. Right, because he's broken the second commandment. That's unbelievable. So I'm standing in that line, and I see this image in my head. And I said, I said, Ashley, I said, hey, can, can I tell you something? I said, I feel like, and this is what I tell almost everybody. I said, I feel like God put me on this earth to be an encourager. I said, I feel like I am the human cheerleader for heaven. Like, I think that's why I'm put on this earth. And most people don't go, well, that seems stupid. I do. You think that seems stupid? I think it's totally stupid. A human cheerleader for heaven? This is ridiculous. Uh, where is this in the pastoral office? Where is it in the Bible? Where is it in the Bible? This is, this is, this is in, in insanity. So, it, so where does this come from in the American environment? I, to me, this is an interesting question. Where this, look, we are, we are a culture addicted to self-help. Everybody wants their cheerleader. I mean, this is like Dr. Spock come to roost, isn't it? Positive reinforcement and all this sort of stuff. And look at how breathing in that culture has warped the biblical message to a point where have we heard a biblical message yet? We have not heard the biblical message in any way, shape, or form. There is no text that's been cited. We've heard the name Christ, and we've heard the name Holy Spirit, and that is it. Otherwise, this has been entirely about him and his family and the people in his church and their children's aspirations for when they grow up. And what he learned by imitating other people who were able to get these direct downloads from God. And, and there are apparently such people in the Old Testament. Uh, in the days of Ahab, we have Zedekiah, the son of Hena'ana, uh, who made for himself horns. I'm reading from 1 Kings chapter 22, made from, for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall punish the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophesied so. What are they doing? They are imitating Zedekiah, the son of Hena'ana. Isn't that interesting? They all said so, and they said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But in the meantime, the prophet Micaiah, a faithful prophet, has been brought before Ahab. He said, uh, this is verse 14, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. What the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? This is the thing. This is prophesying good. It's tickling ears. Everybody's keen on it. 
And Micaiah said, Therefore now hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and I will be the lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And this is the king, encouraged by the other king, said, hey, before we do this, let's get the prophets to come. And these, this, this group, the ones that you're talking about, they all come and say, oh, yes, the Lord is with you. You're going to win. And even, if I'm not mistaken, the other king said something like, you got somebody else. Right. Is there correct. somebody else that's here correct. who's really going to be? A truth teller. Yeah, a truth teller. Yeah. He's like, well, there's this one cat. But I hate hearing what he has to say because it's always bad. And they're like, well, bring him in. You're saying that the lying, the lying spirit was with those quote-unquote prophets, i.e. false prophets. Inspiring them. That they would be victorious in this battle. Right. And think about what a good gig it was. If you were one of the positive prophets in the days of Ahab, man, you get all this sort of access to power and... and uh, Perks you know, of the government. Exactly, right? Think about how this works. This works by licking your index finger, sticking it up in the wind, and finding out which side dries quicker. And that's exactly what this kind of ridiculous Dale Carnegie self-help schlock does. Well, and it, and it I... gives you no license to speak as God's servant to them in a way that just pleases them. You know, they often go, oh, okay. And I said, sometimes God gives me words or images for people to just encourage them. I said, could I share something with you? She said, sure. And I, and I told her, I said, I see this image of this farm. And it's this barn. It's on a hill. There's this beautiful sunset. And it's just like, it feels like peace. It feels like home. I said, does that mean anything to you? And because um, here's the thing, without risk, we'll never know if God's really speaking, if God's really moving. That, what, what is that? Without risk, we will never know if God is truly moving, if God is truly speaking. And who's risk? Who, uh, uh, his risk? Uh, you know, I mean, look. Um, well, I think what he's saying, I think in this context, it's his risk because God God gave him the cartoon barn. Okay. So the risk was approaching her and telling her what God said. Good. Well, Zedekiah, the son of Hena'ana, uh, took that risk, right? And he did a very good, he, he was very risky uh, with all, all the confidence in the world, with iron horns on his head, doing a, doing a rain dance in front of King Ahab. He said, you're going to crush your opponent. Right. He joined in with the other false prophets. He led the false prophets. Prophesying the, the victory and the success. Yeah. And uh, look at what happened here. The king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he, the Lord, had spoken through the mouth of Zedekiah? No the mouth of Micaiah. So the risk is, okay, I've got this thing that I think the Lord has said to me. I'm pretty sure he has. 
It's a wet paper towel. I'm going to throw it against the wall. If it sticks, then the Lord has spoken to me. And if I haven't, he hasn't. How, how do people even listen to this pastor? I'm going to get up on Sunday morning. I'm going to preach a sermon to you. If it sticks, well, then it must have been the Lord. If it doesn't stick, well, then it must not have been the Lord. Can you trust a word that comes from this lying prophet's mouth? No. I'm reminded of what I've told on the plucked chicken before about this boy that died. And, I, you know, I'd been thinking about it for days and days and days and praying about it and really felt like the Lord said this boy's not going to die. I wasn't going to tell the parents that, and I didn't. I didn't take the risk, Pastor Bruss, and I'm glad I didn't because the boy died. Yeah. You know, the kid was on my mind. You know, you go to bed thinking about it, you wake up thinking about it. You'd worked yourself up to believing that he wasn't going to die. Correct. Right. And 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 basically, as you would as as you would look at that, you would say, "Look, this is what happens. The Lord has given us our gray matter, uh, but this is what happens with fallen human reason. We just can't figure everything out." Exactly. Right? But knowing that, you do not make firm proclamations as if it comes from the mouth of the Lord. Right. So how can he stand up and say without risk? You, you don't know if God has spoken. You know, the great thing is, I know that God has spoken because it's in a book on white paper with black and red ink. I don't have to take a risk with that. No, none whatsoever. And think about what the scriptures say about themselves, right? Um, they're, they're breathed out by God and profitable for reproof, uh, for instruction, for correction. Training in uh, righteousness. Training in righteousness. Uh, where, where do we want to go if we want to know what the Lord wants of us? Just to the black ink on the white page. No conjuring up cartoon images? No. No having to be a cheerleader for heaven? No. A proclaimer of Christ for heaven. That's the only thing. And I can tell you this, I was sitting there and all of a sudden, um, like her cheeks go uh, flush and I see sort of the, her neck and her, and her chest start to get kind of red because she is reacting to what's happening in that moment. And she said, actually, yeah. And I said, well, can you, I said, I don't want to pry. I said, but can you tell me what, like, what does that mean? How, how does that connect with you? And uh, she said, actually, I spent today, she goes, that's where I want to be. I, I want to live on a farm on it. She had literally spent part of that day trying to figure out how does she get to a place where she can work on a farm and be a part of that. And I told her, I said, I said, here's the coolest thing. I said, God so is interested in the smallest things of your life and the biggest desires of your heart that he would send a guy like me here today to tell you you're on the right path. Like you, you are, you're pursuing something that will please your heart and his, I think. Is this guy spiritual or what? No. This is this is the this is the devil talking. What are you talking about? He gets direct downloads from God, speaks to people, tells them exactly what's on their mind or on their heart, and then encourages and then inf- them. Then affirms them in what's exactly on their mind and on their heart. And and then then says, This is what the Lord wants for you. That's the problem. So so go after it. That's the problem. So what does the Lord want for this young woman, Pastor Kearns? Well, depending on what station in life she is, she, you know, sounds like maybe she's a, a student somewhere, maybe not, maybe an employee, maybe a daughter. She just checks and see what station of life she's in, and then she can look and see what the Ten Commandments are regarding each one of those stations, and then she does those. And is it harmful for her to 
aspire to go back to the country if that's where she's from? Not at all. No, or that, maybe, that uh, maybe lo- lose the coffee shop gig and go work on a farm somewhere as a farmhand. No problem at all. None. And, and what does she do there? How does she know what God's will is for her there? Well, at that point, she is an employee, and so she shouldn't be stealing anything, and she shouldn't be speaking negatively of her boss. You know, it's uh, slaves obey your master. Right, yeah. And, and so it's pretty straightforward, again, whether she's working in the coffee shop or working in the, in the barnyard. And the Lord is no more or less displeased whether she's working at the coffee shop or the barnyard, and he doesn't want it more for her or one or the other more for her. But if the barn thing doesn't work out and she has attached herself, her hopes, upon this cheerleader for Jesus telling her this. Yeah. Now the Lord. What have I done? What have I done to make the Lord upset with me? Yeah. The Lord's to blame because he's not working it out. And this is what happens precisely when we sever ourselves from God's revealed will in his scriptures. Uh, right now, now she's got an angry God, but but this is purely of her own invention and, and implanted in in her head by this false prophet who has given her false hopes about what the Lord wants for her life. It's horrifying. This is absolutely horrifying. See, here's here's what I want you to know. Like I didn't like wake up one day and just all, all of a sudden started walking into Starbucks telling people about farms on hills with sunsets. Glory to God. And I didn't just do that. I didn't walk out the womb going, thus saith the Lord, right? That was not me, okay? And what I want to tell you is this, is there's somebody that exposed me to something. Then I watched them and I lived with them. So fair enough. I mean, it's the blind leading the blind. You had one false prophet teaching him how to be a false prophet. Right. Just like Zedekiah did. He did a great job of that, right? Got the whole troop of the prophets uh, to say exactly what he said toward Ahab. And they saw how good it was. And now what he's doing is he is foisting that way of being a false prophet onto all these other people. Yeah, it's Pastor Kearns, I've got a question for you. Yesterday we had lunch. You remember lunch? Yes. And, and you had... Uh, what, what what was your sandwich called? The maestro? Is it was it was the maestro? It, it was, is. It's uh it's uh shaved beef au jus, and it was a very nice sandwich. And uh, you and Edith both had it. We're sitting there, and all of a sudden, I saw you look up, and I saw you tell your wife, "Are you done with that sandwich?" She didn't eat her whole sandwich. There was a half a sandwich left, and quick as a flash, you stuffed it into the styrofoam thing and handed off to a. Uh, bum walking down the street. Now, this was not revealed to you by the Lord, was it? No, it was what? revealed to me by the sign that he was carrying, right, right. which said, I'm hungry. And he was very appreciative of it, right? Took it and went. Yep. The point is this. What I, what I want to say is, this guy's just an expert reader of people. You size somebody up, you figure out what their interests and tastes are uh, very quickly, and then you tell them what they want to hear. This is exactly what Zedekiah did. Sized up Ahab, who wanted to be a faithless uh, king of Israel, pugnacious, wanted to go to war, and told them exactly what he wanted to hear. And speaking of sizing up, he's sizing up the crowd, too, by pinpointing this common, relatable issue 
that everybody in the room has had regarding major decisions in life Mm -hmm. and how to be guided through those. He's teaching them ultimately how to know what God's will is for your life. Talking to the girl at the coffee shop is not is not a part of God's will for your life. But he's saying, this is, this is how this works. It's not only given for the major decisions. It's for, it's for whenever God chooses to speak. And then you take this risk by telling other people what he said. And the risk is, and this is the scary part of the risk, it could be true and it could be false. But the worst part is, if it's ever false— you don't get a redo when it comes to being a prophet of God. <laughs> right, right. You do not get a redo. He's not going to find this uh, right. She's going to she's going to go away to some job in in the mountains and you know scooping horse poop or whatever it is. Uh, it's not going to work out. How's he going to find her? Ne- never. The damage it, can't be repaired. Oh, right, and nobody can validate it. Right, right. Nobody listening to this sermon can validate this at all. And then, then, like a, a time later, I began to make it my own. Now, what, what we want to say is this, is that we're all asking this question. And the reason I told you that part is this idea of God's will. Here's, here's, the only thing about God's will is this, is we're asking for him to speak into our lives and give us a sense of what might be going on what he might want us to do, how he wants us to respond, right? And all that is, is God, I want to learn how to hear what? Your voice. How do I hear your voice? How do I respond to it? How is the will of God done? A Lutheran would answer this by saying, the will of God is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature. When God does that. When God does it. And when he keeps us firm and steadfast in his word and faith until we die. This is God's good and gracious will. They are being made to be mystic. So, so, th- so they're trying to ascend to the hidden will of God. Well, he said, we want to hear you speak, and we want to know how to respond. You're saying, if, if the Lord has spoken, what choice do you have? There you, you go. Respond. There you go. Right. How do, I, how do I actually live this thing out? I want to I want to uh, look at First uh, Corinthians chapter four again. If you want to follow the Bible app in there, all of this is in there. All the notes and stuff are in there. Um, you can click on the events part and go to Anthem House, and you can follow along. All the the announcements and stuff are in there as well. But First Corinthians four uh, verses fourteen and seventeen, and this is this is Paul. He's writing to this church, okay? He's writing to this church that he loves deeply and cares deeply about these folks. And, and he is wanting to challenge some things that, that they're, they're thinking about and how they're approaching, how they live this life of Christ out in reality. Now listen to what it says. He says, I'm writing you this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you did not have many fathers. Now let me explain. The, the term guardians there, when you translate that, that term uh, from, from the Greek, what he's really saying is the term guardians is, is like teachers, meaning teachers that would explain to you sort of letters and numbers, doing this thing right here, only information. We talked a little bit about this over Easter. 
what they're going to do is they, they would teach you this. If you had 10,000 people that could continue to explain to you the theology of God, they could, they could talk about it all day, every day. If you, if you had those, but you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. So therefore, I urge you to what? Imitate me. He just went in to his Bible software program and looks up the word imitate. It takes him to this text, and he's like, ah, here we go. There's the word. Perfect, and it's be imitators of me, right? Is it, now, is this how it's going to be applied? So, he, so he's going to become Paul. Well, he becomes Paul, but he's not going to stop there. He's going to say, go look for those people that look like Jesus and act like Jesus and be like them. This is how you begin to discover God's will for your life. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful to the Lord, who will remind you of my way of life in Christ, which agrees with every teaching, every, uh, every, uh, agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. And what he's saying is this. He's like, what we have to do in the early part Depending, if, if you're new to this whole idea, if you're trying to figure this thing out for the first time, if, if this idea of responding to God's will, here's what I would tell you. Like, I think inherently, if there is a sense inside of you that God is real, that Jesus is alive in your life, there's this sort of draw inside of all of us that we want to please God. Who, who disagrees with that? Nobody, as you said, this is just total common sense, and it's theological common sense. Uh, as soon as you are brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have these new impulses inside you. You want to love God. You want to love your neighbor. Okay, this is what you want to do. You want to please God. How do you figure it out? Consider your station in life and look at the Ten Commandments and follow them. Come to church. Right. Where you hear God's word preached and proclaimed. The pastor in Christ's stead and by his command stands and forgives you all of your sin. After you hear the word proclaimed, which is God's speaking. You're talking about in a Lutheran church. Yes. Yes. Then after that, we're going to go up to the rail and we're going to receive the very body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ into our mouths, the food of immortality where forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation is given unto us. And we are touching holy things, and thus as a result of that, God makes us holy. And this is God's good and gracious will. And we get to leave from church going, I have pleased the Lord today. I have heard his word. I have uh, held it sacred. I've gladly heard it. I have learned it. And now I'm going to go out and do what my vocation and my station in life calls me to do. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Serve my neighbor, right? And the way I serve my neighbor is simply by following the Ten Commandments toward him or her. Super easy. But he is going to bring up this. This is what we want to do, as Lutheran would say. This is our new man at work in us that comes as a result of our baptism. This is our new man, so what are you going to do? And the problem is this, this false prophet is going to turn the people in upon themselves to go looking for the Lord to speak to him there. It's horrible. It, it, it is horrible, and, and it doesn't have a realistic anthropology either, right? A, a realistic view of man that, um, you know, you look at Romans 7, and you have this battle going on inside of you, and if you are to trust the motions of your heart, 
Oh, God save us all. And, and, um, in John 17, Jesus is praying for himself. It's one of the few times this happens. He says, Lord, may I have brought you glory. May I have pleased you, right? By finishing the work that you gave me to do. And at Jesus' baptism, he comes up out of the water. And Jesus says, or, or God speaks from the heavens. This is my son whom I am well pleased. Meaning there's an affirmation about him. I think there's this longing in all of us. We want to hear the father speak hope and life into all of our lives. Where does the Father speak hope and life into all of our lives, Pastor Kearns? It's through the written word of God. Through the written word of God. And interesting, he brings up baptism. Right? I agree. This is the very first place where the Lord speaks hope and life into your life, right? Where he baptizes you. Uh, think about all of the awesome uh, language that Paul uses, right? Uh, do you not know that as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ? Uh, and so the Father looks over you in by virtue of your baptism as his beloved son. He counts you this way. Ah! But see, we take that, we take that by faith. He is talking about how he wants to hear those words said of him. In other words, he experientially, he, he, experientially, he doesn't want to hear them in the word of God, the written right. word of God. He right. wants to hear them in another way. Right. And see, I would think this is the sinfulness of man. Right. And he's going to, where is he going to look? He's going to look inside of himself for this. Right. Right. And so it's, he's going back to his own echo chamber. The only voice that he can possibly hear in the echo chamber is his own. It is not the voice of the Father. And it is Genesis 3 all over again. Elucidate that for everybody. Did God say, the devil asks. And then, of course, he points to the forbidden fruit, indicating what it would do for her. Ultimately, it was good for food. Uh, it would make one wise. It would open their eyes to be like God. And where, where do those thoughts emerge in, uh, for Eve? Do they come from the outside, from the Lord? No. Where are they coming from? They're coming from the false prophets of false prophets. Okay, so the so devil himself, from the devil himself, the father of lies, amplified by the echo chamber of her own heart. Right, right. So she abandons what the priest, i.e., Adam, told her. He's the one that preached the sermon to her about "Thou shalt not." God told his priest. The priest then told his congregation, and it was a congregation of one, and she rejected that, ultimately leading to his own rejection of the revealed will of God. This is not just a dead-end road. This is going to lead people to despair. Mm -hmm. As it did Adam and Eve, as they hid themselves from the, from the Lord. And, you know, I, I'm thinking about this, too, uh, in connection with what we're doing right here. Uh, Adam, uh, at the time, gave up his priestly role. He failed. Uh, he's standing right there. Eve hands off the fruit to him. And uh, he watches this whole thing transpire and does not bring God's word to bear on the situation. His and vocation was to protect Eve. Indeed it was. And so, you know, this is why, this is the fascinating thing that we see in the scriptures. The fault always lies with Adam. In other words, as pastors, we take this very seriously. 
when we fail rightly to proclaim God's word, when we fail to keep the people from being deceived by false prophets, we are sinning the sin of Adam. And so this podcast is a good way to try to reveal these things, point these things out. Correct. And there's a natural response as a believer that you want to respond in obedience. God, I want to do what you're, you're calling me to do. I want, I want to figure out how do I live this thing out? How do I make my marriage whole? How do I, how do I make my work more meaningful? And Paul's saying this, hey, you're young in your faith, so here's what I want you to do. Stop trying to figure this thing out and stop trying to invent something that you don't understand yet and just do this. Imitate me until you figure it out. Follow me as I follow Christ, is what he was saying. Even if you had a, a what, would, what did he say, 10,000 teachers, 10,000 guardians that could just tell you all the details and understanding, guess what you won't have? You don't have an example to follow. But if you have a father who is walking this thing out, you have something to follow. I love what the one kid says. I just I want to do what my dad, dad does. And they said, well, what does your dad do? I don't know. It must be good enough to follow though, right? You see what I'm saying? That was another kid story to bolster the point. Maybe not his kid. It was nobody's kid. Oh, it's just a figment. Yeah. Don't you think it's a made-up anecdote? I guess. But going back to what he said, what is Paul actually saying, imitate me on? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back up in 1 Corinthians 4, just a little bit. This is going to be damning for what has just, all this stuff that's being t- talked about. Paul says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not? It's this fractious spirit in Corinth, and Paul ascribes that fractiousness to going beyond what is written. Me hyper not beyond what is written. This is the principle that Paul points to. And says, imitate me. Right. Which this guy that we're listening to is not. There's a, this idea of like understanding, and I'll finish with this, is, is that this information, like just knowing about it is not enough. We, we need to begin to, to imitate those things around us that really bring life. And, and what we're saying is it's, it's more than it's more than just sort of rotely doing what we see other people doing and thinking, if I just act like they act, I'll be a better Christian or something like that. What I'm saying is this, is you need to be able to find characteristics in people that what? They look like Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Find people around you, they look like Jesus when they do these things. They sound like Jesus. They feel like Jesus when they do these things. That's what you imitate. Pastor Bruss, I'm sorry, but you you don't feel like Jesus (laughs) to me. I hope I don't. (laughs) Right? I mean, I hope I don't. Do I look like Jesus to you? You know, I don't even know what Jesus looks like. We don't know what Jesus looked like or felt like. We have none of this. We know what he sounds like, though. Right. Right. And he sounds like his written word. Even though he sounds like a redneck and a guy from Wisconsin. Right. That's that's him talking. 
correct through his word. So if you want to hear from God, like I do, you either A, imitate me, or go find the people that look like Jesus and imitate them. And you got to know what Jesus feels and looks like, quite apart from his word. It's crazy. Yeah, isn't there something about, isn't there something in the scriptures about uh, here is the Christ, there is the Christ? Oh, my. And how the people run after him. Right. Man, you know, when people get away from God's word, and these people at this church, wonderful people, I'm sure, they would never, ever agree with what we're talking about. That they've gotten away from God's word. Hmm. Your assertion here is that the evangelical mind does not believe that it is uh, apart from God's word and, and that they exercise themselves regularly in reading God's word and so on and so forth. Yes, but I'm open and willing and ready for third voices or there you go. Yeah. Okay. Very good. But here's the thing. This is, the, this is an interesting observation. And it I could think, e- even come to me in my sleep. Right. A dream. What if uh, the way to judge this is actually to judge the preaching that goes on in your congregation? In other words, if the preaching in your congregation is recognizably an echo of specific words that God has spoken and written, then you can be assured that when you go to read your own scriptures at home, you're going to be hearing them in the way that the scriptures ask to be heard. This past Sunday, the vicar preached. I was a celebrant. You got the opportunity to sit with your wife in church. If I'm not mistaken one of the services that you sat in little girl sat in your lap and you to get the girl to listen to the sermon make a check mark on your bulletin every time you hear the name Jesus so what do, what do you think in a 15 minute sermon would you say eight times there's a 12 minute sermon eight times okay how many how many checks yeah. we got on this none and and actually that's not the only time Jesus was mentioned a lot of times it was his the pronoun he the point is, it was all over the sermon. Right. We, but here... I don't know. We've heard heard about him deciding for Jesus. That's well, about it. We okay. heard what Jesus has done. Okay, so here's here's a thought. Here's a diagnostic. You go into this church, eight and a half by 11. Jesus is a column. The pastor is a column. The pastor's children are a column. The church is a column. Little check mark every time that you would hear about the pastor or hear about his kids, or hear about hear about the church, hear about Jesus, and just tally it up. Yep. This is taking the um, the dipstick and pulling it out to see how much Jesus is truly in there. And if it comes up bone dry, and and here it has. Even though the name of Christ has been mentioned a couple of times, it's always been him doing something to Jesus, him deciding for him grabbing Jesus and taking him into his life, and all this sort of stuff. So even the mentions of Jesus have been castrated. So is that a good tool? I would say that that's the, that's the first diagnostic. Okay. For sure. So what happens after so that, that? So that's asking, that's asking is, there, is there any oil in the pan? Yeah, right? what's the content? Now, now what we've got to do is figure out if the cylinders are firing at all. How does and one? the cylinders fire in a sermon mm-hmm. when Christ is proclaimed for you. St. Paul, I have determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, which is as much as to say, I have determined to to preach nothing when I get up and preach on Sunday morning, except for the fact that Christ has died for your sins. 
That, that would be a, like, are the cylinders firing? Okay. And then we want to check the spark plugs. So we're running without oil. Mm-hmm. We've got bad cylinders. So spark plugs? Yeah, I'm going to go with a spark plug. You know, and I'm, I'm not sure anymore if uh, cars use spark plugs, but the spark plug here, of course, is, okay, Christ is proclaimed for me. Why do I need him? Have I found out why I need Jesus? Has, have my sins and sinfulness been identified? And if they have not, and if they don't, every time, uh, that a pastor gets up, then you've got you just you just don't have a sermon at all. You you have what we have here. You have a self help talk. Use him as an excuse to to peddle frontier wisdom. This is baloney. But the music, Pastor Bruss, is so good. There's no oil. I get it. There's bad cylinders. I get it. Spark plugs are really really spotty. But the music, Pastor Bruss, it it moves me. Sure, that's not gas. Gas! That fits perfectly with the metaphor! (laughs) What you're saying here, when one evaluates the content of the teaching, which is exactly what Jesus says in regard to to fruit coming forth from good trees or bad trees, i.e. bad trees produce bad fruit, we should run. People don't do that. They think, well, you know, it's low on oil. Uh, You know... uh, uh, you know, yeah, the, uh, a rod and transmission's been thrown, but, you know, you get out and push it, it'll go somewhere. But the music. Yeah, the car radio is still going. Yeah, car radio right. is still going. So, There's so, nothing so, wrong with this. This is the situation. <laughs> Your car has no oil, whose cylinders don't fire, whose spark plugs are dead, is in the middle of the uh, Mojave Desert. You're midway between civilization and civilization. And you decide... Cars are passing you by, saying, can we, can we offer you a ride? Everything's firing, right? Jesus is in, you're hearing the name of Jesus uh, in the oil pan. The cylinders are firing because Christ is being proclaimed for you. The law is being properly given. Um, they have a classical station on, and you say, you know what? I got my radio tur- tuned to, uh, to the country station. I want to stay here. That's exactly what's happening. And then just to, we just made this up, by the way. Yeah, you're just right. so everybody knows. We're professionals. As you pan out of that scene with the, uh, you know, the imbecile choosing to stay in his car uh, in the Mojave Desert, you know, you find out that there's cars like that everywhere, littering the littering the highway o- it, over the next rise. Yeah, there's another one everywhere. Yeah, American Christianity has become the junkyard. And, and the lights are starting to flicker off because the battery's running low. Caden is learning how to drive. <laughs> there you go. It's not only, not only is it yet another story about another child, but he is in his car. Exactly. And just so everybody knows, that thing, the, that whole metaphor that was extended there was completely in the dark. We did not know this was coming. No. At no, least I didn't. You didn't, but I, the Lord... Oh. The Lord's... He did not. No, he did not. Right now. We've got our permit. We've been driving. Now, we could go out and drive and learn how to be a safe driver. Or I could just send him to Tom's driving school. Tom would show him a bunch of videos where people smash in each other and kill one another. And then he could tell him all the stories about how people have been peeled out of cars because they were in six different parts and all this kind of stuff. And he could tell him all these stories about how to be a safe driver. The problem is... Unless he goes out and begins to try and drive. I mean, he's literally watched Holly and I drive for 15 years, right? 
You, you would think you would pick up on some things in 15 years, right? It's not like, like you've been asleep all the time, right? Here's the funny thing. So Caden is driving. Do you think he knows how to get anywhere? Like we've been in the same places for, for 12 years, y'all. We're going to Grove Kroger. How do I get there? We've been there 5,000 times. 5,000 at least. I'm, I'm telling you. It's not moved. It's never been any... Where are we going this morning? You're driving to school. You know the place you've been every morning this year. I don't know how to get there. How is that possible? I don't, I don't know. Right? Because here's the thing. This is not enough. You cannot know what God wants you to do in your life and not act on it in any way, shape, or form and begin to experience the life that he wants you to have. Here's what I want to tell you. Two things. One, you, action is required to do this. Number two, I don't want you to get to this place at all if you're not comfortable with it. Because here's what you need to do is you need to start with the revealed will of God before you get a revelation about other things in your life. Here's where I want to finish. Go ahead and stand to your feet. We're just going to go into a moment of prayer and a time of prayer. It won't be super long. I, I want you to ask the question or answer the question more likely is this, is that what is the space in your life? What is the relationship? What is the circumstance? What is the question you have? That you've been wanting God to speak about. To give you insight or understanding. Okay? Okay. When I hear focus on the revealed will of God. Uh, I, you know, I want to go, okay, okay, okay. Kudos, kudos. Yeah, it's, this is, the, he's going to, he's correcting himself here. Mm-hmm. Then, it, it is not 10 seconds later, he says, but while you do, while you're doing that. I want you to ask the Lord, formulate, what is it that you're looking for that the revealed will does not address? Now, in the fallenness of man, the old Adam, which one do you think he is going to cling to to want God to work in? He wants the download. Right. 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 Because he despises the word. Right. That's it. That's it. He despises the word. And let's talk about that word, let's shall do. we? Yes. Okay, so despise is not hatred. It's not It's not spite. emotional. No, it is thinking little of it. And this is exactly what he's inviting everybody to do, is to think little of the revealed will of God. And did you notice how he used the re- revealed will of God? It's only a springboard to something else. It is not the place where you go for the last answer. The, I'm horrified by this. I, I think the word for, for today is not beyond what is written. Now, depending on your level of understanding your experience with God, here's what I want you to do. One of two things. The first one is this, is what is God's revealed will look like in your life right now? Meaning, what are the things that you know he wants you to do in your life without having to research it, okay? I, I sat down with a guy. This is hilarious. I can't believe this happened. So Thursday, I literally finished my notes, sent them to Dustin. There's a guy that texts me about having lunch with him. I was like, oh, I just got a cancellation. Yes, I can do lunch with you. So I sat down for the next two hours. You know what his question was? 
Hey, Alton, I discovered who God is about a year ago. I've literally read the Bible from front to back, left to right, up and down. I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning every day to read scripture for 20 minutes and meditate for 20 minutes. I'm like, that's impressive. And you know what his question was? I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do with my life. I'm like, that's awesome, dude. And I said, I said, well, what do you know that God is asking of you? Meaning, what are the things that are already revealed to you? Okay, this is good. This is good. He is I'm, going to lead this young man back to the inscripturated word and said, okay, you've been exposed to it. You've read it. Now, what's it telling you to do? Kudos to him. I'm getting whiplash, but kudos to him. But sadly, for the evangelical, the Ten Commandments. That won't come into play here? No, sir. There's, w- it's table, not on the radar. Table of duties? Nope. 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 Okay. The very first question out of this pastor's mouth. Don't give it away. I said, let me ask you. I said, I know you go to church somewhere. I said, do you tithe? He goes, yeah. I was like, that's great. I was like, it's something he's calling you to do. Okay, maybe you're not as shocked by that as I am. When this young man says, what does the Lord want me to do? It's a beautiful question. I'm so glad the guy's asking it. And the pastor says, do you tithe? Right. I'm speechless. I don't know what to say. And then we started going down these lists of other things, of, 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 of things in your life like holiness, purity. Like those are all things that we already know. Those are things that it's not like there's this question mark. Do you want me to pursue these things? So when I ask what the revealed will of God, what's the revealed will of God in that situation right now? God wants me to show a level of kindness or gentleness in this relationship. I can exercise those things until I figure out all the other answers, right? What is his revealed will? Because what I would tell you is this. Is if we won't respond to his revealed will, meaning the things we already know that he's inviting us into, those things in those areas, those levels of obedience, not the, not the no's, the yeses. The things that God is asking us and calling us into. Those revealed will. If we won't respond to those things, why would he give us more? See what I'm saying? You see what he's saying, Pastor Bros? I do. If we will respond to those things, he'll be merciful and just and not give us more. Thanks be to God. Isn't that, isn't that the issue? That I've is got, the issue, but that's not the way he's... No. I've got my hands full of the Ten Commandments. Do you? <laughs> did, have you broken the Ten Commandments today yet? Have yeah. you lived them perfectly? No, sir. Nor have I. Have I tried? You bet I have. The way he's broaching it is if you just do, let's say, what God's already revealed, that let's just say the Ten Commandments, which he didn't say, then God will start giving you these direct downloads mm. to tell you what's around the corner, Man. which have never been promised. Never promised. See, and that's, that's exactly why the Lord, if you are doing his revealed will, will not give you more revelations. Because you're doing exactly what he wants you to do. And not looking for him. See, this is a fundamental understanding of who God is and what he's like. They cannot accept that he has tied himself to his word. For our sake. He didn't have to. No. No. But I'm glad he did. Yeah. Because that's where I can find him. Right. 
as he promises. If he didn't tie himself there, now I got to go, where is he? That's exactly what these people are doing, though. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Just eyes closed for just a moment. You know what your question is. God, there's this situation, this circumstance, whatever it might look like that you're asking God to speak into. God, I want, I want to hear more of your thought, your feelings, your opinion about this thing. God, you know it's between this or that. God, I'm in a tight spot. I'm in a difficult situation. God, I just, I just, I'm not sure what the next chapter of my life looks like. So, Father, just we're, we're asking. We, we want to hear your voice. We want to sense your presence. And so, Lord, we're just going to say yes to what we already know. This reminds me of the prophets of Baal that Elijah was coming up against. They are just as zealous for wanting God to speak to them, their God. They're just as... Uh, work they work themselves up I mean, passionate this is this is what they are displaying cutting themselves and he never said a word and that's exactly what's happening here all the while taking the i mean he played i'm not saying he didn't play lip surface to it i mean he he said it but it it's now been pushed aside and now we're going to look for this other revelation. It's been trivialized. There's some of you in here, it's, uh, the word I hear is letting go. Did, did you hear that? He, he just said the word I heard. And it's letting go. And letting go. Somebody, and so now, like that, like that psychic reader, there, there, there's somebody in here. Now, who does, who, who is not vexed by problems their whole life long? Of course. Right. Uh, it may be minor, it may be major, uh, and you get all wrapped up in it. And what does that mean anyway? What? I'm gonna, I'm gonna let go. I'm gonna right. my 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 credit card debt. I'm just gonna let it go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> does that mean like yeah. go I'm buy whatever hook. you want? Exactly. <laughs> or just let the bill sit there on on the desk? I, I think what he's saying is, don't get all tied up in knots about it, right? And and just relax, and you'll you'll come to a solution. But. This is this is kitchen table wisdom, but he's blaming it on the Lord as giving him this. Correct. And in this moment, people are going, "Wow! Not only did the Lord speak to Alton with the barn girl, you know, earlier this week, he's doing it right now." And but look, he led him right into this. Think about this. He said, "Think. I want you to think about the problem in your life that you ju- that's intractable." Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Anytime anyone thinks about an intractable problem in their life, they're going to get tied up in knots about it. And any response that you make to that is going to seem like money, right? This, 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 is, this is sheer manipulation. This is a con game. This is a con game. But here's the problem. He's going to get another download. There's some of you in here, you've got a hold of something so tight, it could be a dream, a person, a thing, a job, something that gives, I, the word is security, there's something, there's a security that you're holding on to so tight, and there's a word, trust, that he's asking you, if you'll let go, if you'll let go, you, you will experience the trust of God, you will experience a peace of heaven, 
that doesn't make sense. It transcends all understanding, Scripture says. So, Father, we're asking that you would create vision in that person. They would see. They would see a silhouette of what it looks like to walk with you, to trust you. I don't know what any of that means, but clearly the Lord was giving this information. Purportedly, let's figure out how he's gotten here, shall we? So think of a, an, an intractable problem in your life. Okay, the I word, got it. The I word, got it. I got it. The word that's coming to my mind is let go. Oh, oh my goodness. And now I'm going to further diagnose it and say security, tr- you trust in this thing. And I mean, if you have an intractable wow. problem in your life, it's because you you are tied up uh, with some sort of security with it. I mean, this is just this is just pure manipulation. Like you could make TV shows about huckster preachers based upon something like this. Yeah. And I can't believe it's real. It is. Talk about the feeling at the end, right? The the feeling of trusting the Lord. I'm sure there's a feeling that people are getting. If they've let go, right? If I've had some hypnotist tell me, you know, lull me into this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What she's doing. Mm-hmm. And I just say for a moment... You know, I'm just not going to let that bother me. Of course, I'm going to have a feeling of peace. But this isn't the peace that passes all understanding. No. The peace that passes all understanding is knowing this, that I have a Redeemer who has saved me from the grave and from eternal hell, who has risen from the dead, who's waiting for me in heaven, and who on the last day will raise up my body and take me to live with him in the new creation, righteous and pure before God forever. This is my this is the peace that passes all understanding and and it gives me peace throughout every bit of my life. I, I I hit troubles, of course, but I have this peace. The peace is Christ. And so in my day-to-day life, what would you say is God's will? 10 commandments. What? Yes. Yes. <laughs> you mean examine the station of life that I'm in and then just apply the 10 commandments to those stations? Right. Do it faithfully. You're going to screw up, but guess what? You have peace. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. God does not count those sins against you in Christ. And the doors of heaven are open to you. That's the peace of Christ that passes all understanding. And go about your vocation with joy. You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kearns. To discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com or St. John LCMS. You know what I hate? You always come up with such a great statement, and then I repeat it. (laughs) This is a con game. This is a con game. (laughs)